five years, oh, no, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, for 70 years, um, you know, you're not going to be sort of laying there just saying to the doctor or the nurse, can you please go and get me a couple of rolls of my cash? I just want to say goodbye to them, you know, one more time. Like, you know, that's not the sort of thing, you know, it's not, you know, can you please wheel in my favourite, you know, motorbike or, or whatever it is. Like, you know, the things that really matter, the who, not the what, the things that make us really happy, if we're real honest with people, are the who, the people, uh, not, the, not the things. Uh, so we're actually going to continue on a little bit uh, from that theme. And... Um, we're going to talk about what, what makes us happy. We're going to extend that. And I'm going to look at uh, a, a passage in Scripture. If, you, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you'll, you'll, um, you'll know this. If you're not a Christian or you haven't, you haven't kicked around church circles for a while, that's so fine. Uh, we'll step through it and we'll explain it as we go. But we're going to look at a, a, a passage in Scripture which is often referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, if you're not a church person, you're just thinking, I've never heard that word before, I don't know what that means, and that's okay, all right, that's so fine. Um, it's basically just a series of, 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 of sayings that Jesus had, and it's actually one of the most, probably one of the most famous sermons that he's actually given. And we're going to look at that and what that means and how we might pull out of that some things that make us happy or some things that we might be able to apply to our life that can help us to be happy. When I was... When I was in probably year 9, year 10, around that age, you know, around that teenage, 15, 16, that sort of age, I probably, probably began to grow, I suppose, in, in an awareness of, of stuff that happens around me uh, that I'm not a part of. And, you know, I guess when you're a little kid, you just sort of do what mum and dad do, you follow along, you just do what the family does, and, and you're okay with that. And that's sort of, I guess, it's the, everyone goes through this, as, as you hit the teenage years and you friends become more important or things outside the family unit become more important to you, you sort of begin to think, like, what, what do I want? Do I want what my family sort of has, you know, has and, and, and I've grown up with or is there some other things in life that I want to sort of chase after or, or where, where am I at with that? And probably, you know, for, probably begin to think, well, you know, there's a bit of a choice here. Do I, do I want, you know, the values and the morals and, and the things that my family have instilled in me, taught in me, or is there some other stuff in life that I want to chase after and get after? Because I guess it's around that stage people start to get a bit mobile and friends start doing stuff, you start doing different things and you're thinking, you know, for me I used to love playing cricket and um, I, I always wanted to play cricket but every, every game that I played, basically I was at church instead of cricket, so it was like, ah, you know, like this whole church cricket thing, you know, and I should go to church because that's what you're meant to do, you know, like that's what dad and mum said and and, and so I did, uh, but you know, there's all, and it's, for other people, there's all, there's all different things, but there's always this sort of tension between what, what should I do to make me happy, or what should I do to make my parents happy, maybe, and what could I do that would, in my mind, make me happy. So, so all of us go through these tensions of, of what, what we want to chase after, what we want to get after, like what, what really is, I mean, it's just like, we all do it. No matter who you are, we do it. Some people seem to chase it harder than others. Some people, you know, are really bent on, on chasing happiness, you know, chasing after life, what makes you happy? And, you know, you just, you just turn the TV on, watch an ad, and you'll see it. Everyone, you know, everyone's trying to find an angle where they can tell you this is exactly what's going to make you happy. And, and that's, that's life, right? That's the life we live. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes we listen to that, other times we try and think, no, actually, this is more important, I'm going to, 
I think this is going to make me happy. So, so I guess why I say that is like, you know, here we've got in Matthew chapter 5, where we're going to go in a minute, um, this concept of what makes us happy, which is countercultural in some ways. It's, it's sort of, it goes against the grain. It, it's different to what most people think. And we're going to go through, um, there's about oh, eight, I think, different, different verses that talk about what makes us happy. Now, they jump through a fair few different topics, all right? So, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about each of those topics. We're just going to hit on them fairly fast uh, this morning. But overriding, there's this theme that, that sort of comes through on all of these. And that's what we're going to concentrate on at the end. And we're going to see if there's something that can, we can actually apply to our lives, to actually put in place in our lives, that can actually truly, when we walk out of here today, go, huh, we, that just made a difference. That, that can truly make a difference in my life. All right, so... We're going to just jump straight in. So first of all, uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Now, this verse, we're going to throw some verses up here in a minute, um, but this verse is not in it, but I'm just going to set the scene, okay? Matthew 5, verse, verse 1 and 2, that says this. Now when, he, now, when he saw the crowds, so we're talking about Jesus, when he saw the crowds uh, up on the mountainside, he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... So now he begins to teach uh, his disciples, and he begins to teach... Uh, all these crowds of people, okay? So this, that's the scene, so I'm just setting the scene. All right. Now, he starts off by this. This is the first thing he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So before we go anywhere, I want to talk about this word blessed, okay? And then I'm going to talk about this actual verse. So there's the verse up there. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this word, this word blessed, I just want to, just want to spell this out a little bit. Um, the word blessed is, literally means, uh, the definition of it is, is to bestow good on or to look favourably on or um, to, uh, to be happy, like and even some translations in the Bible actually say to be tra- to happy up there. So it says fortunate uh, or to be envied. Right? So when people see someone who's blessed, they go, man, look at that, that person's blessed. I wish I was blessed like that person. They've got something that I would like. All right, you get the picture? So this word blessed, all right, so you don't, I mean, when you hear it, you know, someone sneezes, bless you or something like that, okay? So we use it a little bit, I suppose, in our culture, but it's not, yeah, and it's true meaning it's probably not too, or some people might say I'm blessed, but it sort of is a bit mixed up with sort of a, a, a religious sort of a word, but some people in there out in the, out in the public use it a little bit, I guess, but, but this whole word, it's like, it's, you know, to be fortunate, to be happy. And we're talking about what makes us happy. So when Jesus is saying, you know, blessed is, he's saying this is like fortunate are, or people who are like this are envied, or people who have this should be happy. If you do this, you can be happy. So if we're talking about what makes us happy, we go straight to a source, uh, a godly source, that is Jesus, and he talks about a few things that make us happy. So, so understand that bit so far? All right, now we'll jump in. So we're going to go to verse, to verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll read that again, ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we stick that definition of blessed onto that verse, I've just said fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Envied. People are envious of those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's wrong with that picture? 
Who wants to be poor in spirit? Like, yeah, yeah, pick me. I want to be poor in spirit. Yeah, because I want to be happy. Like, isn't there sort of some sort of oxymoron going on here? Isn't this like, how can you be happy and poor in spirit at the same time? How can we feel blessed? How can we feel fortunate? How can we, how can we be the envy of others when we're actually poor in spirit? Or is this like just some sort of like little comforting thing? It's just like Jesus going, there, there, you know, blessed are you, you know, poor in spirit, you know, you're... You know, one day the kingdom of heaven is going to be... Well, that, that could be true too, right? No, I'm not saying that's not true. But when we think about this concept, poor in spirit, um, and we give this description uh, of happy people, just find out where I am here. We have this, we have this concept that the poor in spirit may not just be someone who's sad or depressed, downtrodden, but what if, here's a little bit of a challenge, what if the poor in spirit was somebody who, no matter how much they had, whether they had a lot of money or a lot of possessions or um, even a lot of um, security, job security, friends around them, what if people, no matter how much they had, but they understood, they understood that everything that they had came from God. That they could trust no matter if they had a lot or if they had a little, no matter if they had a lot today and then nothing tomorrow, that everything they had still came from, came from God. So here's, a little bit of, here's a little bit of a definition. And this is not mine, I've actually stole this off someone else and because I'm not really clever and come up with these sort of things, but I thought it was pretty neat. Those who understand that they are dependent on God irrespective of what they have. Someone who's poor in spirit is someone, poor in spirit as is in understanding that, you know what, I, I don't have anything. I understand that what I have today could be taken away tomorrow. And I'm grateful, I, I'm grateful what, for what God gives me no matter what. I'm content. Those who understand they are dependent on God irrespective of what they have. The moment, because the moment you put your trust in riches instead of Him who richly provides, you become unhappy. Is that a bit of logic in that? If you begin to put your trust in what you have instead of you know, the provisions that you had instead of the provider, you can very quickly become unhappy because what you have today can be taken away tomorrow. You have a good job today, not so good job tomorrow. Have a good relationship today, not so good tomorrow. Those who understand they are dependent on God irrespective of what they have. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So if we said, blessed are those who understand that they are dependent on God irrespective of what they have, all of a sudden you can go, you know what, if I could truly do that, or if I could sort of start getting close to being like that, there is happiness there. There is a contentment that you can't find elsewhere. If you can truly trust in the provider and not the provision, no matter what happens, you know that you're being looked after. There's contentment. There's happiness. Um, When, when we try to control, uh, when, we, when we have stuff, and this is, and I've, I'll, I'll put my hand up really high here and say, I've experienced this and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit over it. 
You know, the more stuff you get, it might be time for us to move, you know, to start chucking stuff out. But the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to maintain. The more things that you have, the more worries that you have about whether they're... You know, it's like when you buy... You know, you have, you have an old car, right? And, and the kids get in there and spill milk all over the back seat and, you know, you a bit of a ding in that left door from the shopping trolley and, and there's a bit of a... You know, you've run over something in the front guard there's been at a bit of a... You know, but you don't care. You don't give it... It's an old car, you know, it's a 10-year-old car and, and it's nearly dead, dead anyway and you... And, so, and you don't really care. And then one day you think, I'm going to go and buy a nice new car. And you go and buy a nice, shiny new car. And the same things that just happened to your old car happen to your new car. It's a different reaction, right? Like, it's common sense. All of a sudden you're just like, oh, who's built this? You know, no eating in my car. And, you know, you get cr you know, cranky at the kids just for spilling a, you know, a bit of water or something or, or dropping a, uh, you know, a lollipop or something like that on the seat. All of a sudden, the more you have, the more you, you have to lose. The more you have, the more concerned you are. So here this concept of, if you, if you, if you put your faith or your, your base your happiness around what you have, you're going to be disappointed. The poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who understand they are dependent on God. If you can really understand that, you're in a better place. I can talk more about that, but there's more things to be said about these texts. So we're going to go to the second one. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the same as the last one. It doesn't add up. How can you say happy are those who mourn? Fortunate are those who mourn. The envy of other people are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Is this like just a nice little Jesus just trying to just have a little encouragement? You know, and if the people were mourning, I'm guessing probably yes. Or is there something a little bit deeper here? Is there something else going on here that you know, we can gloss over and we go, oh, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but I guess Jesus said it, so I guess it must be right. You know, like, happy are those who mourn. Let's just, let's, just, let's just turn this upside down a little bit. Blessed are those who mourn, or happy are those who mourn. What if I, what if I said, who doesn't mourn? Who are the people who don't mourn? What if, what if there was someone, and, and, and if you know, people are going through this right now, I don't want to trivialise this, but what if, what if there's someone who was going through some sort of crisis, whether it be relational or some family member passing away or something similar to that, and you weren't upset about it? You weren't sad. You weren't disappointed. What does that tell you about the relationship that you had with that person? There's no love. It didn't exist. If you, don't, if you don't mourn, it means you don't love. I can watch TV and I can watch news and I can see people being injured or hurt or killed in, in, in places. And yeah, I empathise, I'm not saying I'm callous, but you know, do I do anything about it? Do I, do I shed tears over that? Like, I'll be honest, like maybe I should, like, but I don't know who they are. Sad situation, not trivialising that either, but I don't say I don't care, but like I don't care, you know what I'm saying? I care, but I don't care necessarily for that person individual. I've never seen that person before. I've never met those people. I could imagine myself there, and if I was that person, I'd be sad and all that, but, but if you don't mourn, it means you don't care. If you don't mourn, you don't love. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. If you, if you put effort over time into relationships, and you grow those relationships, you will mourn. 
And when Jesus says here, happy are those who mourn, maybe, maybe it's a little bit deeper than what we first read. Maybe there's something about, you know, if you put effort into relationships over time, if you, if you grow to love, you'll be happy. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are the meek. Give me a definition of a meek person. Humble, good one. Anything else? Quiet, I heard, yeah. All right. Sometimes we can sort of think of meek as weak, potentially, or, or lowly. Um, and, and again, I suppose in some ways it's like, ah, you know, how does that add up? Does that, does that add up to to a happy, you know, if you're a meek person, are meek people happy people? Or is it sort of the people who seemingly are, are proud and loud and boastful or whatever, and, you know, the people who get out there and get amongst life and, and are larger-than-life people and, and leaders in their community, all that sort of stuff. Like, you sort of think... We've talked and prayed before about world leaders. I think Jace or someone was talking about that uh, in our prayer time. You know, how many, I'm not saying everyone's in this category, but how many meek leaders do you find in the, you know, on a world political, uh, political scene? Uh, you think, yeah, probably don't know too many, really, just being honest. Um, but we're talking about this, this, uh, this meekness. I'll give you a definition of what we might be able to come up with meekness and see if this changes uh, our thoughts here. Someone who has a balanced opinion of who they are compared to all of, God creation, all of God's creation. What if a meek person was someone who is not weak, is not like, you know, someone who can be walked over, um, but yet truly understands who they are in Christ, who they are in this big scheme of creation? Think about what is a meek person. And, and over time, they can realise that, you know what, I, I'm happy just to to do what God has asked me to do. I understand that, that in the big picture of things, um, in the big picture of things, I, I just need to do what God needs me to do. John the Baptist, um, man, if you haven't done much in the Bible, that doesn't matter, I'll tell you about a story about this guy called John the Baptist. He, he basically came before Jesus and, and, he, and he told a lot of people about Jesus. Um, and there was a scenario in John chapter 3, you won't go there, but in John chapter 3 there's this scenario where these people were saying to, to John, they're going, this Jesus character, who is talking right now, he seems to be getting a lot more followers than you. And they're sort of a bit upset, they're a bit noses at, their nose is out of joint because John the Baptist has been turning around, he's grown in popularity, all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus seems to be overshadowing John the Baptist. And they're going, hang on a minute, like, this is our gig, you know, we're meant to be the leaders here, we're meant to be the followers here. John the Baptist got this. John the Baptist understood what meekness is all about. And he said, and he said this, I'll read this to you, you won't look it up, but he said, um, a person receives only what is given to him by God. He understood that he was a piece of the puzzle. He understood that God had given him, given him this little, um, this, this role to do, and no matter the popularity, no matter what the consequences were, he was faithful to what God, God had given him. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What if 
happy are those? Happy, like, you know, if you can understand, because sometimes we try and live outside our skin, so to speak. Sometimes we try to strive for what God hasn't asked us to do. And, that's, and that could be in any position. That could be in, in your work, could be at your school, uh, it, you know, even as a, as a chaplain or a pastor or, you know, in amongst a church setting, sometimes we think, oh, we've got to be the best church or we've got to be, you know, at the top of our game here and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we start doing all these different things. What if God hasn't asked us to do that? What if God said, I just want you to be real faithful and I want you to do this role and I want you to do it real well? That's what meekness is. And if we can understand, if we can, make, if we can understand that, that meekness is someone who has a balanced opinion of who they are, they can understand where they sit in this scheme of things. All of a sudden, you think about it. Like, I don't have to. I'm not required to do all this stuff. I'm not required to you know, work ridiculous hours and do all this different stuff you know, just to get ahead so I can do. I understand that this is what God's asked me to do. Like I'm content with God's, what God's asked me to do. <sighs> Don't you feel like that's like a, like a weight off your shoulder? Off your shoulders? Like It's just like, oh, it's all right. You know? I don't have to like, do all this extra stuff or strive. And I've been guilty of that. I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, yep, I've been there. Probably still am to a degree. All right. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. All right, so here comes another one. So all these blessed things, all this blessed stuff. Okay, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, there's the key word. What's righteousness mean? Anyone? Righteousness. Give me a, like a real quick definition of a righteousness. Without sin, which means? Anything? blameless, doing the right thing, yeah? Okay? Righteousness is basically doing what's right, okay? Righteousness, if you're not a Christian, you're like, what are all these big words? We come to this church thing and there's all these big words. That's okay, sorry about that. But, okay, this is what in the Bible it says, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for doing the right thing, those people who want to do what is right. And there's a bit of a conflict here straight away again, isn't there? Like, because quite often we're like, well, what's right's not always what's fun, like, I'm just being honest. What's right's not always the things that seem to make you happy. In fact, you know, like, often, like, as a churchy person, you look at all these people and you think, man, you can, you can either be happy or holy, basically. It's one or the other. You can't have both, you know. Like, either do you go to church and be a good little churchy kid and grow up and be, you know, all that sort of stuff, or do you go and have fun and be happy? And here, Jesus is saying, happy are those or envied by others are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst like they want it real bad. Just like, you know, when you're really hungry, you haven't eaten for half a day or a day or something like that. Um, a few hours for me, but whatever it is, you know, like when you're real hungry, and you're just like, man, I'm a real thirsty, real hot day, I just really need a drink. I really, 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 really just want, not, not like force myself, but I want it. I want it real bad. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's right. Think about this for a while. Why would that make you happy? Happy are those with no guilt, no regret, and a clear conscience. Would that make sense? If I live my life over time doing not the right thing, say that politely and nicely, if my moral cut radar is, is pointing more south than to true north, if my ethics are a bit out the window in my, in my what I do at school, what I do in, in, at work or wherever it might be, with my family, the way I treat other people in my relationships, if, if those sort of things aren't 
what is right, it might be okay here and now, I might get away with it, I might be happy, I might have sort of done a few suspect things on my last exam or last assignment, ripped off somebody, uh, got away with it, now my grades aren't so bad, so I'm, I'm, you know, a bit of a smile on my face, got away with it, bit of a smirk, <laughs> you know, that, that worked out all right. Long term, where does that lead to? Over time, where does that lead to? Quite often, those sort of, those sort of behaviours, when your morals are a bit, a bit questionable, when your ethics are a bit questionable, the things that you do, the right, you know, the, between right and wrong, they eventually catch up with people. And if you actually went back and asked people um, what their biggest regrets were, if we, not that I'm going to, but you know, if we took a survey, what's, the, what's some of the biggest things you've ever regretted doing? It's nearly always, well, there's a choice I made, it wasn't the right choice, and I'm now dealing with the consequences, or I, have to had, or I had to deal with the consequences. The consequences of, of poor choices, maybe three weeks ago, maybe three months, six months, years ago, eventually catch up with us. Happy, or blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who just like, you know what, this is what Jesus, Jesus says, you're looking for happiness, I'm telling you how to find it, I'm telling you how to get it. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you'll be filled, you'll be content, you'll be like, I'm done, I'm alright. I see other people making choices that seem good at the time, but I'm okay. Because I know that long term, things are going to work out in my favour. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There's a couple more to go. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Give me a definition of mercy. What's mercy mean? Anyone? All right, that's pretty good. Oh, hand, Josh. Forgiving. All right, that's cool. Forgiving someone, forgiving someone when they don't deserve it. Mercy. Happy are those who are merciful. Like, let's be real honest. Naturally, we want justice. All right, we, if someone does something wrong to us, we want to hold them to account. We need to hold them to, you know, we want justice. That's normal, right? If someone, you know, if someone steals something, you want to see justice, you want to see them caught and they need to do time for it. Okay? That's, that's just, or, or something worse, you know. When someone does something to you, you want to see justice. But here Jesus says, happy are the, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are those people who say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to actually extend to you some unfair grace. And you're thinking, how can that make me happy? Like, how can I be happy when I'm actually giving away? Like, when they haven't asked for it, they haven't come looking for it, and I'm meant to be just like, yeah, no worries, it'll be fine. How can that make me happy? Because right at the moment, I'm real angry. Right at the moment, I'm pretty upset about that. But have you ever seen someone who holds a grudge or who has been really bent on getting even? Have you ever seen a happy person that's like that? Have you ever seen someone who's just like, no way, no matter what, we've got to get back at this. I want justice. I want fairness. And they pursue that. Have you ever seen someone who's really happy in that state? Or have you seen someone who's happy who, no, and, and you think, wow, how does that happen? Who's had some bad stuff happen to them, but they've just gone, you know what, I've let it go. I've forgiven them, and I've moved on. And now I can be content and happy. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. It's not normal, but it makes sense. Happy 
blessed, envied. Because you think about it, when you can do that, you know, you could, there are plenty of people, and, I've, and I know individuals who, who have done that, and other people look on and just think, how can you do that? I, I couldn't do that. How could you just like forgive them for that? And, and you seem so happy and you're all right about it. Blessed are those who are merciful, just uh, for they will be shown mercy. Even, you know, I guess it's what Christ has done for us. He has demonstrated for us such unfair love in grace in dying on the cross. And he's saying, do the same for others. Not only is it good for them, but it'll make you happy. Here's a pathway to happiness. Happy are the relationally generous. These are the people who are showing mercy. Those who, who can extend that forgiveness to other people. They're the ones who are happy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 8. Happy are those who are sorry, pure in heart, and they will see God. Have you ever thought... Okay, I'll, I'll turn this around. Has anyone here not ever thought that they'd like to see God? Has, everyone, like, has anyone like... Has anyone thought, nah, I've never wanted to see God? Put your hand up. Has there, okay, anyone wanted to see God? Anyone ever wanted to see God before? Like, so just once maybe, just an angel or something, or just something? All right, we would all put our hands up. In fact, any, if, if you're a Christian, you'd definitely go, yeah, I'd, I'd like to just see God once, or just to, just to say day, or just to know that he exists, and every, all my questions could be answered, and then I can just get on with life, and it'll be all sweet. Um, even an atheist, I would, I would argue, would like to see God. You know, like to go, well, if he's really real, then just show him and I'll be sweet, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, anybody, everybody would like to see God. And here, we're, gonna, we're sort of working from the back forward here, but it says, blessed are the pure in heart, or happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How does that work? How can we, how can we, be, how can we be pure in heart and see God? It's a bit of a, a promise here, but... This is not a real popular theme, and I guess it sort of comes back to that righteous theme as well and doing the right thing, but when we are pure in heart, when we put aside things that are impure, things that aren't right, um, different things in our lives that, uh, that don't add up to what God, has, you know, and what God has given us, when we can become pure in heart, Jesus says here, you'll be happy. The reason you'll be happy is because you'll see me. The reason you'll see me is because when, when we're in tune with God, we see God at work. Okay, we might not see God, as in, well, no one has seen God, right, except Adam and Eve and, and Jesus, and, and there's a few other people who sort of saw in vision and different things, but, but you'd say no one's seen God, right? You don't see God. But we certainly can see God at work. And I think, and I truly, truly believe that God is at work around us in so many ways that we never, ever, ever see because we're blinded for whatever reason. And, and here it says, if you're pure in heart, if you actually keep yourself on the, you know, really stay, stay pure, you will see God at work. You will see God around you. You will see, you won't be blinded by looking inward all the time, looking out, keeping, keeping pure. I'll keep going. I could talk more about that. We'll keep going. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, have you ever seen, if we talked about peacemakers, the opposite of a peacemaker would be probably a troublemaker? Is that what I heard? All right, troublemaker. Do you know any troublemakers? Don't put your hand up, joking. Um, troublemaker. Have you ever seen a happy troublemaker? No, we don't see happy troublemakers. Why? Because they're making trouble. Uh, and pretty much it comes along this whole theme that, um, you know, blessed or happy are the trouble... Are the, Happy are the peacemakers, for they we call children of God. God himself 
obviously is a peacemaker. God himself is someone who forgives and tries to make peace with people. Happy are the peacemakers, a troublemaker. Why would someone want to make trouble? Pretty much because they're unhappy. In fact, troublemakers, unhappy troublemakers, hate happy people. Right? That's, just, that's just what they do. They, they don't like that. Um, and it really comes out of a, uh, a concept that, and you think about this and it sort of adds up, hurt people hurt people. You think about people in your life or people you may know in your sphere of, of your little world, the people who are troublemakers are typically unhappy people. Hurt people hurt people. Because I'm, hat, because I'm sad, because I'm hurt, because I'm troubled, I'm not going to let you get away with it. I'm going to make your life difficult as well. It's just what happens. Happy peoples are the reconcilers. Happy people are, are people who try to, to, to make peace. Others look on in envy, you know. Other peoples look and think, wow, that's so cool, that person has something pretty special. Happy are the reconcilers. All right, last one. This one doesn't really make sense either. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of doing the right thing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Any happy persecuted people here today? All right, that doesn't make sense either, right? Happy are the persecuted. How does that work? How, how, how can you be happy? and persecuted all at the same time. I suppose if we looked at that pretty quickly, um, for doing the right thing, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted because of the righteousness, or happy are those who are persecuted because they're doing the right thing. The fact is that bad stuff's going to happen to you whether you do the right or wrong thing. Right? If, you st- if you do the wrong thing, bad stuff still happens to you. Yeah, sometimes you think, look at some people and think, man, they're so bad, but good stuff seems to happen to them. Yeah, but bad stuff still does happen to everyone. And the question is... Do you want to get in trouble for doing the right thing or the wrong thing? If you're going to get in trouble anyway. If you can get in trouble for doing the right thing, at least you can sit back and go, well, you know what? Between me and God and everyone else, I know I've done the right thing. Have you ever been in a situation or a you know, relationship issue where, where you know you've done the right thing or the best of your ability and you can go, look, maybe I'm not perfect but I've done my very best. And I can just sit back and go, well, I've tried hard and I've done the right thing. And you can be so much more content with that, even if someone else is giving you a hard time, even if someone else is you know, laying it on pretty thick to you in whatever, in whatever way. And over time, people will see who you are, really are. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, there's the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So at the start of this I said, alright, we're going to have a quick look at these and, and there's lots of different things. They came, we've hit lots of different topics in, this, in these beatitudes or these, these blessings, these things that make you happy. And Jesus says, these are the sort of things that all make you happy. And so we've hit a whole heap of different ones of them. The common denominator, what's the thing? What's the thing here that, that um, uh, what's the thing that, that is common amongst all this? And I've got it up there on the screen for you. You sow and reap your way to happiness. If you think about all these different things, right? All these different, like it might not be immediate, okay? So it's not like, here's, you know, here's a bottle of happiness. Have a drink, or you know what I mean? Like it's not just the immediate here and now. But the things that make us happy happen over time. The things that make us happy is the way that we live and conduct ourselves over a period of time. We sow what we reap over time. And we sow what we reap. You sow 
and reap your way to happiness. Is that what I said? That makes sense? Over time, if you want to be happy, you might even be dealing with some stuff that you go right now and you go, oh, you know what? The reason I'm unhappy right now is because of some of those stuff, some of the things that we just talked about I haven't done quite right. That's okay. But let's work towards the future. Let's work towards um, what can be. Um, if, we go, if we go to Matthew chapter 7, so this is at the end of this big sermon. Now Jesus goes on and he talks about a whole heap of different stuff in this and we're clearly not going to cover it today. Um, I don't know how long he spoke for, but um, <laughs> we're not going to go much longer. But he spoke about a whole heap of different stuff. And there's a couple of chapters there where he, he talks about all different things. But he, he finishes his chapter, he finishes this sermon as it's recorded here in Matthew with a parable. The parable is like a bit of a story, a bit of a meaning. And the parable is about two guys who build houses. One guy builds a house on a rock, one guy builds a house on a stone. And, sorry, on a, on a sand. And if, you know, if you've been around, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know the story. If you haven't, um, basically it's, it's this guy who, these two guys, and one builds his life, that's the parable, on a firm foundation. The other one is just on some sand which washes away real quickly. But I'll read this to you. Verse 20, uh, 24, I'll throw it up there, I think. Yeah. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, that's what Jesus has just been talking about, all this stuff that I've been talking about, plus other things, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, puts his house on, who builds his house on the sand. Think about building a house. Right, build a house. Anyone build a new house before? As in, you know, like had a house built, or you few builders here. You know, it doesn't just happen like you can't do it tomorrow. You can't say, right, I can knock me up a house tomorrow. All right, we've got what three months. What would a house take to build? Something like that, give or take. Depends how how many people are on site. Um, all right, so when you're building a house, it's not just overnight. It doesn't just happen in one day. It's something that you sort of build from the ground up. And Jesus says the secret of what this is all about is. I'll go back to this first. Therefore, anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. Over time. Like, plenty of people chase happiness. Plenty of people go looking for stuff that makes them happy. And I'm talking about, like, you know, some comedy program on TV that just gives you a half-hour kick of, oh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's cool, whatever. I'm talking about that contentment, that, like, that joy that, you know what... No matter what happens, whether it's a, a time of mourning or whether it's something else or good or a bad, but overall, my life's good. Not good because I've got lots of good stuff. The possessions, the what that we talked about last week, not good, not happy because of that, but happy because I'm content that I'm following Jesus Christ and that he has something extra special, that he has um, something right now that he can give us as well as obviously a kingdom to come. A heaven that's waiting for us one day. So I would, I would encourage you as you think about that, and if you ever read these, read through them again in the future, Matthew chapter 5, and you'd, you'd conclude it with, these, with this verse here, where it says, therefore anyone who puts these words of mine into practice, and the practice over time builds happiness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so very much for your words. Thank you that we can read these and, and dig a little deeper and actually realise um, that, yep, what you say is, is different to what other people are saying to us, to what the TV says to us, what the newspapers and magazines say to us, 
friends say to us, but Lord, if we follow these things and if we put them into practice, if we, if we begin to work on them over time, and we won't do it perfectly, it won't be the, like just, okay, now we've got it all together and we're all sorted, but over time we can just keep striving to, to, to do what you've asked us to do here. That we can find a joy. And that we can find a joy that's so great that people around us will be just like, oh, what's different with that person? I'm so, they've just, I'm so jealous, Nelly. They've just got something that we haven't got. So I pray that we can all do that. I pray every person in this room, Lord, that we can actually, actually do that and people can see you alive in us. Thanks, Lord. Um, just pray for, again, just pray for all everyone that's here that we might have a, a great week as we begin this journey. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I hope you just have a fantastic rest of your, your day. Uh, try and stay very cool as you can. Uh, next week, uh, as, as Brad said during our prayer time, we've got Sharon, our new pastor. Uh, she'll be here next week and she'll be speaking for us as well. So it'll be pretty neat to have her uh, on board and, and up the front and yeah, get to meet her and, and hear from her. So enjoy the rest of your day.